Global Business News 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World Headquarters, I'm Charlie Pellet. The Dow, the S&P, NASDAQ, they are all surging. Final hour of trading on what is looking like a losing week for the U.S. stock market. But right now, we have got the S&P 500 index advancing 21 points to 23.87. That is a gain of nine-tenths of one percent. So stocks are pairing more of Wednesday's losses. Investors assess the political scrutiny surrounding President Trump. The Dow up 180 points to 20,842, up nine-tenths of one percent. NASDAQ up 47, a gain there of eight-tenths of one percent. Sean Golhar is head of public policy research at Barclays Capital. A few months ago, as we did this macro survey of our clients, uh, and in the Barclays survey, about 63, 65% of clients thought that they can get tax reform on the corporate side or tax cuts done this calendar year. I think clients are beginning to back, all, back away from those views now, given all the news coming out of D.C. With a 10-year down 430 seconds, the yield now 2.24%. Gold up $1.20 the ounce to 12.54, up one-tenth of 1%. And West Texas Intermediate Crude up 98 cents a barrel to 50.33, higher by 2%. Deer surging to a record after the biggest maker of agricultural machinery's profit forecast exceeded all expectations in one of the strongest signs that the worst of the farm slump is over. Deer rallying 7.6%. Recapping equities higher here. Final hour of trading on a Friday. S&P up 21 to 23.86, up 9 tenths of 1%. I'm Charlie Pellet, and that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Thank you very much, Charlie Pellet. Well, we're counting down to the closing bell brought to you by Upside, the smart new way to buy travels. Upside.com. Save money and get a free gift card every trip. Use the code BUSINESS and you're guaranteed at least a $100 gift card your first time using Upside.com. Minimum purchase required. See the site for complete details. Starship for you on this Friday, a little start of the day, and a little Dave Wilson. What do you got for us, Dave? You know what I've got for you? Let's see if you can kind of capture this phrase. I've got discipline. Paint me a a picture, Dave. Discipline, systematic, global macro views. Oh, my God. How's that? No, that's an actual blog written by a guy named Mark Ripzinski. And he, you know, if Tom Keen was here, he would be like jargon alert, jargon alert. Oh yeah, he'd be, but he'd be all over this. Yes. Let me tell you. Explain. And what it has to do with the uh, posting on this blog that uh, I'm featuring in the chart is pension funds. I mean, we know that, you know, historically they tend not to have full funding in terms of the benefits that they promise to retirees. It's some percentage. So what happens in financial markets from year to year uh, has an effect on their ability to meet their future obligations. And we know that we've been living in a time of low volatility, whether you look at stocks or bonds or whatever. And what's interesting is that there is this index. It's called the Pension Surplus Risk Index, but you could kind of turn it on its head and look at it in the context of, well, how much ground could these funds make up, presumably, if the market goes their way? I mean, whether we're talking about stocks or bonds or whatever their mix of assets is. So it's been around for a decade, this index, and the latest reading from April, uh, 7.1 percentage points. That's what perhaps these funds could take in from market moves over the next 12 months. So 
You know, you, you've got something to kind of look at in the context of where they are. Well, it turns out that they would need about 15 points to be able to be fully funded. So, in other words, the conclusion you draw is that because there's so little volatility in markets, the pension funds really have to look elsewhere if they're going to be able to deliver on the promises that have been made to beneficiaries. And uh, Ripsinski makes the point that these funds are really having to look for holy grail investments at this point, something that will increase their returns and not necessarily ratchet up their risk. But, of course, how do you find both is the question. Uh, if you want to know more, folks, send me an email. I'll get you the chart, the explanation that goes with it. And everything I do going forward, the email address is dwilson at bloomberg.net. That's dwilson at bloomberg.net. Well, these underfunded pension plans, I mean, this has been a problem. Uh, we had the judge on who was involved in the Detroit bankruptcy case, and this is something that's been a pet peeve of his for some time, these underfunded pension uh, plans. Uh, how do you make up the differences? And ultimately, they're going to be, you know, <laughs> there could be somewhat of a crisis at some point, and this is something that's been on certainly his radar for some time. Absolutely. Bear in mind, though, in this case, we're talking about corporate pensions as opposed to public pensions. That's a whole Right. Another issue, but certainly it, you have, yeah, the same sort of concerns are there, no question. And it really becomes a matter of, you know, can the market bail these funds out? And well, with the lack of volatility, the short answer is no, not really. Well, Carl Rickadon, I'm going to bring in our chief U.S. economist here uh, at Bloomberg Intelligence, our in-house group of analysts. Carl, come on. We're going to have economic growth of, what, 7%, 8%, and these returns will play out in, you know, better corporate profits and revenues and returns. Sure, Carol. And then that I woke sounds up. Sounds great. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, maybe Dave should ex- uh, explain to our listening audience uh, below the uh, age of uh, 45. Five, maybe fifty. What, uh, a, pension what, what a pension is, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, what is a, a whole different story. That's so true. That is so true. But, but uh, to your point, Carol, I mean, you know, as we think about uh, growth prospects for the economy, it you know we're at the stage of the cycle where it really dis- depends on fiscal stimulus. So if you know if we don't get much much fiscal stimulus, then the deviation from the performance over the last eight years is not going to be that significant. So two percent, two percent, two percent. You know. As we think about, you know, these growth figures that uh, President Trump has put out there, anything's possible if you're willing to borrow. Uh, the question is, uh, can you sustain those higher growth numbers? So you want 5% growth next year? We can easily make that happen, but I need the purse strings, uh, you know, from uh, from Congress. Uh, if we're talking about revenue-neutral tax reform, then these numbers are going to be much harder to achieve. Um, and the drama uh, uh, around, you know, the the White House lessens the likelihood of a lot of significant legislation passing and, and, and the things that have been driving this market here. And, you know, there's, there's stories even as we speak right now crossing the New York Times and the Washington Post that are, could further imperil this. And, and I you know, I see – I keep the VIX on my screen and it hasn't moved a lot. But since these stories have started to break in the last 15, 20 minutes, I see the VIX starting to creep up again. It's It's remarkable. Absolutely. There has to be a, uh, a repricing of economic expectations based on the legislative agenda. So if we're not getting tax reform, if we're not getting fiscal stimulus, uh, then that's slower growth for the economy and uh, equities repriced and bonds repriced on lower inflation expectations. At the uh, same time, if Fed expectations wait, repriced, it's wait, across the board. At the same time, though, if we're not getting more regulations, if we're not getting you know more impediments to business, you know, by an administration, you know – 
Republican administration seen as more friendly to business. If we don't get more things kind of added on to the existing framework, that can be somewhat of a positive, too. Absolutely. So I think that, you know, on the deregulation front, there's still some uh, uh, some wood to be chopped uh, that uh, will not be derailed by all of these expectations. But, you know, as we're looking at the timeline here, uh, 2018 is uh, midterm elections. Right. And so if health care reform pushes tax reform back, then maybe we don't get to fiscal stimulus uh, in the uh, first uh, half of his uh, first term. And then uh, who knows where we stand after the uh, midterms. Um, it's just amazing. Every day, it's just the, it's, 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 my mind just reels with all these headlines. It's a it's a lot to digest uh, on, on the nearer term horizon. I mean, as we look to next week, we have a, uh, another reading on GDP. Don't we, we get another reading on uh, GDP, which mm-hmm. is likely to show only modest uh, revisions, uh, still coming in most likely below one percent. Uh, but uh, also, we have the minutes of the May FOMC meeting, which was a non-event meeting. Right. Uh, but because it was a non-event, that probably gave policymakers a lot of time to mull over their balance sheet policy. Uh, we have a lot of Fed speak next week. We have the minutes of the FOMC meeting coming out. Uh, we could have much greater clarity on what that balance sheet unwind is ultimately going to look like. Fed funds futures, 83% chance we see something come June. And it has moved even higher more recently. Correct. So uh, there was a little bit of a wobble midweek. Uh, June is still very much uh, on track for a rate increase. Dave Wilson, anything you want to add? Not really. I mean, <laughs> we're getting to the end of first quarter early season, and, uh, you know, we'll see the numbers as they play out. Right, right. We're going to have a little bit of a gap as we finish up uh, those earnings and, and kind of uh, trade on what other news is out there. Dave Wilson, Stocks Editor at Bloomberg News. Carl Rickadon, our Chief U.S. Economist with Bloomberg Intelligence. You are listening to Bloomberg Radio. Let's get some world and national news headlines with our Bloomberg News anchor, Nathan Hager, in our 99.1 studios in Washington, D.C. Thanks, Corey. President Trump is headed out of town, hoping to put his controversies aside for a while, aboard Air Force One for his maiden international trip. It had already been seen as a crucial first test for an unpredictable leader. But after the firing of FBI Director James Comey and the scandals that have followed, Congress may be hoping for a break, too. The establishment Washington, the people who make this government run, have taken the upper hand and are... And, and the special counsel gives the, the Republicans certainly cover to ass, assert themselves and set their own agenda without the president. It's Bloomberg senior executive editor Marty Shanker, but this break might not last long. The New York Times reports it has seen a document summarizing the president's meeting with Russian officials inside the Oval Office last week. It says the president told the foreign minister and the ambassador that fired FBI director James Comey was a nut job and that firing him relieved great pressure. Meantime, the Washington Post has just reported that the FBI investigation has identified a senior White House advisor close to the president as a significant person of interest. This shows the probe is now reaching the highest levels of government. More pressure on Brazilian President Michel Temer. The country's Supreme Court's released its investigation accusing him of corruption and obstruction of justice. The latest revelation over secretly recorded audio purportedly capturing Temer endorsing hush money for the jailed House Speaker in Brazil. Temer denies any wrongdoing. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by more than 2,600 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Nathan Hager. This is Bloomberg. 